Hey everybody, welcome to episode 90, would you believe, of the Metal Cell podcast. I'm your host, Richie. Thank you very much for your support and listenership right through all those episodes. So, you just heard Necrokinesis, which is a solo project by Adrian Foley. He's been in a few bands over the years, Stereo Nasty probably being the most notable and relevant. Adrian wanted to do a trash album since he was young, so when the opportunity presented itself, he went away and did it. Much respect. He just decided to go for it, he said, and he didn't want to get stuck in the box of just being another retro throwback trash band. He put in some cool debt and black metal influences in there also. The self-titled album was recorded by Mick Richards at Track Mix Studio. Hello Mick if you're listening. And that's located in Blanchestown and it is a firm favourite for many metal bands on the Irish scene. Necrokinesis is an excellent debut in my opinion. It's got 8 songs of serious riffage and well worth checking out on Bandcamp. The song is No Future and it's off the self-titled LP necrokinesis and it's one of many solo projects that um, have come out in this covid 19 lockdown okay moving on to the main part of the show which is the interview with mr howard h smith frontman of legendary uk trashers acid rain and a brilliant stand-up comedian as well. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I've got H from Acid Rain and Joe from Gamma Bomb. How are you, lads? Pretty good. Very good, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Um, thank how you. does it feel to have released one of the best trash albums of last year? Then Sorry, did and... it get to as many people as it deserved? Um, I, I, it feels fucking great, man. It really does. I still, I still, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm going to come across all Lars Ulrich right now, but I'm, I'm probably the biggest Acid Rain fan there is. I mean, you know, I've been curating the band even in the years when we were not around and not doing anything and had no intention of coming back. And we haven't come back because we didn't reform. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the album. I mean, I listened to the whole thing um, probably two days ago from beginning to end. And um and there's there's just there's bits on it and little odds and ends that that just still make me smile. Um, I'm incredibly incredibly proud of it. Yeah. Um, and then and and you know, I just think it's um, uh, it's 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 what Acid Rain fans deserved, had been waiting for, and you know, before it came out, I kept using the phrase that I was very very quietly confident. And that's because what I couldn't say was, you know, you're going to fucking love it. It's it's great. I, I didn't want to, basically, I didn't want to sound like an arsehole or <laughs> Rob Flynn. Same thing, really. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's awesome. Did it get to, did it get to um, the audience? It deserved? No, no. But no one's album does now. No one, you know? I mean, you know, Gamma Bomb are going to release an album uh, soon-ish, maybe this year, maybe next year. And that won't reach as many people as it should do because no one's album reaches as many people as it should do because there's just a fucking ton of shit out there on the internet that it's very difficult to get heard above. I mean, we play, when we played Glasgow on, the, on the, one of the five dates we've been able to do yeah, for the album. that's another side of it. Um, yeah, that's another story. I had a guy come up to me and go, I didn't know, I knew nothing about you lot being back until a week ago and I and I like he heard the new low somewhere or something like that and it was like acid rain he was like that can't be acid rain so he looked us up saw that we were back 
Bought a the, ticket for the he, gig. Was he using a Nokia, one of those old <laughs> flip well, phones or something that he never well, got you never know, you know, yeah, but you know what? That's it's just a it, it's it's a prime example of the fact that how depending on how you get your metal news and depending what your, your circle of friends is like now and all the rest of it because we've got quite an old crowd you know then it there's there's a there's a million ways of not finding out about stuff yeah. um and i mean you know how it just not everybody's a geek like me not everybody goes on to blabbermouth and and flicks back through the pages until they get to the page they were at last time they were on blabbermouth and then catches up on all the news most people just go to the front page what's the news that's it hmm. so you know it's um uh, but uh, you know on the flip side the reviews have been amazing um you know getting landing in like top 20 charts and people saying that it's the best acid rain album um of the lot I mean, I, 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 you know, I couldn't have, I couldn't have predicted that at all because I didn't think there's any way that anything we did now would rival what people have, you know, what emotions and memories they have attached to our original material. Um, so for people to be saying that is just absolutely, yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. And it's going to have to last as well because there's not going to be another one for a while. <laughs> what do you think, Joe? It is. It's a... It's a really, really great album, and like I would say, it it is probably the best one, just because it's very um, it, it's I don't know, like it, from start to begin to the end, it all has the same vibe, and the singing on it's great, and the production's great. Production's and some brilliant. of the other albums in the past that I've loved, like Obnoxious, um, had lots and lots of ups and downs, and like different stuff going on. You know, one of the things that's probably surprised me the most was. Uh, Paul, Paul, the guitarist, his stuff, his stuff is great. His riffs are really, really awesome, you know. So, mm. like, and I think that was the that was everyone's concern with Rain, Acid Rain come back. It was like, oh fuck, if Kev's there or not there, are the riffs not going to be there? But the riffs are there in abundance, look, you know. Yeah, yeah I mean, you know, you hit your nail on the head there, and um, I mean, Paul is um, Paul is really he's he's every Acid Rain fan's friend. Because um, as as he puts it, you know, he's got he's got one foot on stage and one foot in the crowd. You know, I mean, Obnoxious is in his top ten favorite albums of all time. Um, so it was, you know, he was he was just on it. You know, he's on the on on the money and on his game, big time. And I mean, just when it comes to recording the album, um, not only was he like ultimately tight and amazing in the studio. He actually recorded the album at home, the entire album at home to Mark's drums that had been sent to him when they were edited and then went into the studio when it was his turn and recorded the whole album again. Yeah. Um, so it's like he just knew what he was doing at every stage, at every turn, the layers, everything. Yeah, um, yeah. and um and it really it really does yeah i mean i'm i'm just absolutely chuffed chuffed a bit with it how and, much and thanks very much for that joe i really appreciate that because i know how much of a, a fan you were of the old stuff so um sure yeah yeah it's how much awesome. preparation did you put into it before you decided to head for wales um it was about the night before we just thought fuck it should we go and record an album and um uh it's it well we started we started writing um at the beginning of 2017 um so one, once we'd done the second comeback single and the headline tour it's kind of like right 
next stop is the album because we've basically got as far as we can without new material. And then gigs after that just became an exercise in trying to rearrange the same songs a different way. Mm. Um, and so um, in 2017, we started throwing demos into a pot and voting on which ones we wanted to work on. And then we did a we did a uh, about ten days pre-production, well, ten days writing in in London, um, and then we and that brought that broke the back of it and brought a lot of the songs together. Um, then I put vocals on everything by the end of the year. Last song written for the album was ripped apart, and um, and then we went in um, and we went in August uh, 2018. Uh, went in, started recording, um, and it was finished. The mix was finished, I think, about March 2019, something like that. Um, looked for a label and um, uh, pretty much all told us to fuck off. Um, and then we found uh, Dissonance. Oh, well, all of a sudden, I was just like, hang on. I know Steve, and he had Candlelight Records, and, you know, he liked Acid Rain then. I wonder if he still likes us. And he did, and, he, you know... Uh, it, typical acid rain he didn't ask to hear any he just asked me if it was any good and i said yeah i think it's fucking brilliant and he went oh was, there any, be um, was there any reason why he, he wanted you on dissonance rather than on candlelight then uh yeah because he doesn't own candlelight candlelight got sold to um to uh universal um about two three years ago okay 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 and and um and not a lot has really happened with that label since so um it certainly wasn't a case of going back to to the label, um, and yeah, so out it came, and um, yeah, I mean they've they've been great, you know. There was there was no uh, sort of well, basically just I get I, I'm kind of turned up with the finished package, you know. Here's his Mark Wilkinson artwork. Here's I'm the, just going to ask about him. Yeah, how did that come yeah. about? Um, bumped to him, bumped into him in um, in Bloodstock VIP. Uh, are 2017 yeah um and um we were was it 2017 i might have been a little bit later I'm, I'm really not sure probably so um uh he he has a neighbor called al barnes who used to play guitar in uh venom all those years ago he's on the prime evil album and stuff and I've, I've stayed in touch with with al i've known al for years um and I knew that he lived in the same village and was neighbours with Mark Wilkinson. So I bumped into Al, who introduced me to Mark, and straight away I was thinking, like, right, okay, you know, I don't want to be all over the guy, because I also knew from watching a, face to, a Facebook update that Fish had done that um, Mark was taking a step back from work he was doing because of health reasons. And I thought, right, okay, I'm definitely not going to be full-on Howard and get in his face and force him to say yes right now. So um, we just chatted and Al was saying, he was at our Bloodstock show in 2016 and, and he was saying, oh, you know, you wouldn't believe it, man. It was amazing. It was incredible. You know, they're a great, they're a great band and all that. And I was like, yeah, we've, uh, we got, we've got a new album coming out. You know? <laughs> and, um, and, um, uh, and Mark was like, oh, right, that's interesting. But to be honest, I'm actually trying to get less work at the moment, not more. I said, look, I totally understand. It would just be an absolute honour to have you do our artwork. And I explained that I was that you know, Marillion of the band that maybe fall in love with music. 
he did all of the early Marillion covers, like, you know, Script for Jester's Tear, Fugazi, Misplaced Childhood, uh, Clutching at Straws. He's done all Fish's stuff. He took over from Derek Riggs and does all Maiden stuff. So he did all the, you know, Book of Souls and everything. He did Priest. Um, and um, and he was just, he was saying, well, he said, but, and, and Al was saying, oh, they, you know, they're different. They've got a different kind of attitude and all the rest of it. And I said, yeah, you know, he's like, we have a little bit of a sort of punk ethic in there. And as well, he was like, oh, that's interesting. If you want something with skulls and things like that, you know, I'm not your man. And I was thinking, I've seen Book of Souls. <laughs> uh, you clearly are. But anyway, I'll, I'll let that slide. Um, so, um, so um as one last desperate attempt to try and engage him in the concept of doing art for our for, for our album i said to him um oh we've done a cover version of a suzanne vega song on the on uh, uh, as well and um and she um really likes it so hoping to get her on the album and he just and he went all right which song and i said uh, blood makes noise and over here right Unless you say Marlena on the wall, Luca or Tom's diner, no one knows who you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it, and most of the time, you actually you either have to go, da, 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 or you have to go, my name is Luca. You know what I mean? But uh, Mark's reaction was, um, oh, good song, and I was like, oh right, you know it then. And he was like, yeah, yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan. Would you would you send me your version? I was like, yeah, no worries. No. About two weeks about two weeks went past, and I sent him the demo. And, um, you know, thought nothing of it. And then 15 minutes later, I got a reply saying, Howard, this is absolutely brilliant. It takes me back to my old punk days. I absolutely love it. Forget everything I said. I want to do the cover of your album. Fuck me. Brilliant story. So, there you go. Good old, good old, uh, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Suzanne Vega. Suzanne Vega, who I'd never met, never spoken to, got us in with Mark Wilkinson. Jesus Christ. Just got to show so, um, yeah, and, and the thing is, that's not the end of the special guests. On Within the Woods, the joiners back in vocals are supposed to be Max Cavallera, and the second solo in Within the Woods is supposed to be James Murphy. Um, but uh, James wasn't able to do it because he had a load of paid work, and we certainly weren't going to pay him. Mm. And, um, uh, and Max was unable to do it because, um, well, I, I got the thinnest of yeses out of him when he was on the podcast. Um, he was like, I was like, you do loads of stuff. He was like, yeah, I'm a metal slut. And I was like, right, well, if you're whoring it around, get on our album. And he laughed and goes, okay. So for me, that was enough. For yeah. me, that was, yes, Howard, I will definitely do a guest appearance on your album. So I sent an email to Gloria Cavaliera and went, look, this is the story. This is what happened. You know, what's up? And she sent an email back going, oh, yeah, that's a really funny story. No. <sighs> <laughs> Which is which is fair enough. I did actually want to say, can't you just get him to shout "Join us" into a phone? That'll do. But yeah. it's a very difficult, uh, difficult woman, so she is. <laughs> well, um, well, I've known Gloria since before she was together with Max. Back in the so. I don't know. It's, it, it, yeah, it doesn't make a great deal of difference. I've got to be honest. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, I'm glad you brought up Bloodstock. Did you actually curate 2015 with like, I mean, the lineup in 2015 was Reanimator, Lawnmower Debt, yeah. you know, Onslaught, Nuclear Assault, Dark Angel, Debt and Overkill. 
had you yeah. something to do with that? Uh, well, if we'd had, if we'd been something to do with it, we'd have been fucking on as well. <laughs> well, you were um, on. You did. But, um, well, I was. I was on. For, I was on for one song. Yeah. yeah. I was I on for one dead. song. I was. I, I tell you what, though. That's well. We we were offered. We were offered headlining Saturday Sophie stage that day for 2016. We were offered the slot that day. Okay. And that day was when the set list for Bloodstock was finalised. Because as soon as he said that, I was like, right, that's when we bring back Thoughtful Sleep. That's without, yeah, that's yeah, that's cool. when we wheel out the big guns. Um, yeah. Which we've only played it a few times since we've been back. And that, yeah, I, I would love to play that song more. I mean, I, I enjoy singing it and because um, I can sing it way better than I used to. And um, and and it's and the music, the music section at the end just makes me fucking lose it every time but um it, I, definitely, I saw you guys doing it in uh, manchester but i can't remember did you have like uh samples for the keyboard stuff and like that kind of thing or what did you do hang on uh, well originally the original lineup no 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 when you played it recently um would that have been at the rebellion yeah right okay uh, no it was it was it was just um it was just acoustic guitars and then smashed it through after that. So, so, um, um, and it, and it's got a dead stop live. Yeah. Okay. So right it finishes. Okay, yeah. You know, you know the the two accents that go mother and father. Yeah. Um, that we leave the last note hanging, and it finishes on those two accents again. Uh, and that's it. Yeah. Good tune. What what are your thoughts of V playing Bloodstock that year, two thousand and sixteen? Uh, it was a mental. It was. I think the Gene Morales finished the Sophie that night, from what I can from what I can remember. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. We'd um, um, our support our support band uh, Mastodon finished on the main stage, That's and right, yeah. then um, <laughs> and then they came over and said, right, it's time for the headline act, and. Um, and yeah, we so we we were the last band on the downside of that. The downside of that, and Joe will know exactly what I mean, because this is a typical person in a band thing to say. The downside of that awesome show was that as soon as it finished, nobody could get back into the arena to buy any merch because the arena is shut. Ah. So so we we absolutely smashed the tent with five and a half thousand people in it. And and loads of, loads of people wanted to go off and get that sh- turn around, go off and get that shirt, and they couldn't get back into the arena. Um, but uh, you look, that, that's neither here nor there. Um, it was an amazing show. It was an absolutely amazing show, um, and um, and I loved it. What I think what I loved about it most of all was the fact that um, I don't know, we we weren't completely and totally responsible for how amazing that show was because. Before we went on, you know, we could hear people giving it the old acid rain, acid mm. rain. We had a big cheer when the when the backdrop went down, um, and it was just like it just felt like we were playing a big club show. Were you there, Joe? <clears throat> no, no. Were you that you were there, Richard? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know about it. it. Just felt like a big club show. It didn't <laughs> feel like there was five and a half thousand people in a massive fucking town. Uh, it did, man. It was like um, like being up in a fucking terrace at a soccer game, man. It was just <laughs> chanting. Ah, <laughs> 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 I mean, typical, typical me, right? 
I, I, for some reason, in between two or three songs, wanted to give grief to people who were who were outside the tent looking in. Like, so I was giving them grief, like you know, you, you oh, did you, actually, you yeah. know, you I, lightweights, yeah. what you stuck out, you know, get it. Uh, and it wasn't until I found it out afterwards that they couldn't get in. No, <laughs> fucking couldn't get in. <laughs> but it's like, but that, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about us as a band. Never would it cross my mind that that you know they wouldn't be able to get in because because it's so packed. It's like now nah, there's always there's always room at one of our shows for, for everybody really. Uh, but yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was probably it's the best gig I've done with the band since we came back, and the best yeah. gig that I've did with the band before um, uh, first time round um, for me is probably um april 1990 mcgonagall's in dublin oh uh, fuck off you're serious just, yeah yeah I thought for a john my heart kind of missed the beat there because i thought he was going to say cork and i was just going this is where i cry <laughs> so, so, cork cork's a henry's so close yes oh, henry's. mate cork's a henry's all i've got all i remember is, is turning up and thinking fucking hell are we playing here <laughs> where <laughs> where there was not, never... as bad, not as bad as um, not as bad as Drogheda. When we arrived, when we arrived there, they were just they were still fucking making the stage. They were literally oh, there with, with wood and hammers, going, "Don't worry, boys, it'll be ready in a minute for you." I'd be like, oh, "I'm not fucking sure about this." Kev went through it halfway through the set, but to be fair, Kev had been trying to get through it since the minute we started playing. He just Jesus wanted to Christ. get through the stage. Fucking hell. So McGonagall's was your favourite before that, yeah? I can shut my eyes and I am fucking back there, mate. Mm. I'm back there. I can feel the sweaty walls. Um, they're doing the doing the PA dives and it's like and the thing is like doing PA, PA dives back in those days, there was no there was no risk. There was no, no there was no on. basically people were packed in so tight, they had no option. But mm. to be there when you land on them, they couldn't yeah. fucking move. Yeah, couldn't move it's like yeah. now, you know, I'm, I'm up there like five minutes trying to coordinate everybody. But um, yeah, McGonagall's man was just unbelievable, unbelievable, brilliant show. Gamma Bomb has surely played McGonagall's, is it? No, no, sure. I think um, it, it went to, it went where the dodo like about 1993 or something like that, man. It's all right, oh, okay. It didn't last too yeah. long after the kind of. Like, if, I'm, if, if I'm right, I think Ozzy Osbourne actually rehearsed for a European tour in McGonagall's and did like he did four or five warm up shows and Def Leppard used to do the same in there, do all their warm up shows for their tours and stuff. Mm. But um, I, you could correct me if I'm wrong on this. I don't think that they had a license to sell beer. They're only allowed to sell wine or something like that at the bar. I, I cannot remember because we had, we had a rider and our rider was fine. So, yeah, yeah. but I, but I, I seem to remember a lot of people being pissed. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that they actually bought one single drink inside the venue. But you know, the weird thing like is, with the cider the, like, out the back. especially with um, like Drahada, like Acid Rain are probably the last big band ever to play in Drogheda, you know? Mm. Like it's not a city like Cork or Derry where occasionally you'll get someone coming around. Like it's it's pretty uh, it's a pretty small city in Ireland, you know? Rural. They are they are doing gigs there again because somebody asked us did we want to play at a metal fest that they were trying to organise there, so you definitely get back. Yeah. I, I, well I, I remember playing um, I remember playing Derry as well. And I've yeah. I've since been told that we were the last we were the last metal band to play there as well, or at least the venue. <laughs> That we played in, yeah. It's a, I I remember seeing like um, 
destruction and someone else like Lama God or someone up there in like about 2004 and there was like 20 people at it or something. No, like you're that. right. You're right. It's Glasgow Pavilions I'm thinking of. There's never, there's never been another metal show at Glasgow Pavilions um, since we played there in 19, <laughs> Uh We left our mark and um, yeah, that's been the end of that really. So she played Dublin in 2017 and uh, you were really disappointed with the turnout. Yeah. And um, yeah. you were fairly vocal about it as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that doesn't sound like me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the acid rain, the likes of me now, like I'm nearly 50 now, next year. Um, do you think the acid rain crowd have kind of grown older and you've kind of missed the catchment gang of trashers that will say that Joe's gang have, um, you know? No, not really. I mean, I, I think the ideal combination is to have both. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. You know, ultimately, our fan base, as a rule, pretty much have disposable income. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, really, is like guys in their late 40s and 50s and stuff, have, they'll go and spend a hundred bucks on the merch table. Whereas guys like who yeah. come to our gigs will ask you for beer. Like they're like, can I have yeah. some free beer? Oh, oh, don't worry, mate. Obviously we still get that. Yeah. That, that, that doesn't die. But, um, but yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. We will. And we'll get people, you know, we'll get people saying like, you know, like, you know, they need, they, have you got a card machine? Cause they want to, you know, spend as much. Yeah, as well, I spoke to you about this before hard. And yeah. basically what the deal with that Dublin show was that, uh, Zentrix had been over supporting Overkill and then Zentrix had done their own headlining show and then came back so that this was like the third time that they were playing in Dublin within a each, year each time yeah. each time with Shrapnel as well yeah so it's yeah. kind of weird it's like you know whenever you guys went and did your own headlining show it was really great you know so yes. people aren't necessarily people are looking saying I've seen Zentrix enough times you know etc etc yeah no I, I, I absolutely get that but I mean uh I, I, yeah, I was disappointed, but part of the reason I was disappointed was that I remember what Ireland used to be like for us back in the day. It was the first time we'd been there for loads of time. And also the guys in Centrix were going, oh, yeah, it, it's still mental over there. It's, it's going to be insane. It's going to be great. Now, there's everything that Joe just said, um, which absolutely, there's also the fact that there was just about every decent band on the planet was coming through Dublin in the next two or three months. There was Fear Factory one side, there was Megadeth the other, there was, there was, there was just bands all day. And also, and also, um, if I had been in the Zentrix camp, I might have actually got word out to everybody that we were going to be playing brand new material from our already recorded brand new album as a way of getting it across to people yeah. that this is why, because you've always got to give people a reason to come and see you. The minute you just think you can put a poster up and do a gig is when no one turns up. You've always got to have a reason. There's always got to be something, you know, if you look at every, every tour we've done has either been off the back of a, a new single, a new release, or that just we're back in general or, or obviously an album, but there's, there's, there's got to be something and also, not only has there got to be something, but you actually have to tell people. They can't read your minds. Yeah. So the first, the first anybody knew, including us, by the way, that there was any new material going to be played by Centrix or anything like that was on, on the first date. So maybe, 
if that information had been out there, it might have made a difference. To be honest, probably not, because people were financially stretched. Um, but I, I, I was vocal about it because I was disappointed. Um, and, and the thing is, as well, is I think I ended up, I, I, I went onto, a, a, I think, the um, uh, Metal Island um, forums, which yeah. don't exist anymore. Um, Correct, yeah. But I was, yeah, but I was, I was in there just going, look, I, you know, because a lot of people were saying, oh, you know, when are you coming back? And it's like, well, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Whenever you actually turn up, that's when we'll be back. Um, uh, but loved it, loved being, loved being over for for the dates that we did. I mean, the the beauty of the shows that we've just done. We played London for the album coming out. We played a te- we played a TP in Scarborough with Diamond Head. So we've done London. We've done Yorkshire. We've done Glasgow and then we've done Dublin and Belfast. And it's like, and everybody else has been, and everybody else has been completely ignored. So, you know, I actually think that's pretty cool. And it was, it was great being over doing, doing, um, doing Belfast and Dublin again was great. And looking forward because we, we should be plan is see you all in February. Yeah. Clang with Coroner yes. and Candlemas. I'm glad actually, Candlemas are involved because it can I can dovetail nicely back to the time you toured with Dark Angel in Candlemas. Ah yes. Can you tell us um, a a few tour stories there? Uh, Yeah, well, um, uh, uh, Messiah um, is a top man, and we instantly hit it off. Um, Singers tend to do that. Did Messiah just kill him? Um, oh, just like, but the thing, I mean, that's not just saying that guitarists do that, drummers do that. I mean, you know, you've, you've, you know, you've got, you've got whatever it is um, in common. Um, but yeah, top man, and he used to, he used to have his big, um, he used to wear the priest's habit, you know, the whole thing. And just before he always used to get the, he used to tie it with a rope, and he used to get the rope. And he used to have to try and tie one end to something. And I was in a dressing one night, dressing room one night. And I went, give that here, give that here. So he gave me the end of his rope. And I, I held on to it. And then what he did, this is really bizarre, my mitt. And if you're just listening, tough. Um, and he'd, he'd just go like that. And he'd turn, his, he'd turn his, his waist really quickly away from the rope to try and tighten it. So I was like, right, okay, I'm, I'm stood here, I'm like, right, go on, go on then. And he, and he did it, and he, and he was like, oh, man, this works great, wonderful. We should do this every night. So um, so I went, yeah, all right. And so every night, every night, backstage, you're like, H, H, where are you? Where are you? And I was like, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming. And I'd leg it, like, round, round, the, uh, round the back of the backstage area into the Candlemas dressing room. He's like, grab this, grab the rope, grab the rope. <laughs> Tying him up, and off he goes. Um, Fucking brilliant. Uh, yeah, I know. I mean, we we um, I, we hit it off with them big time. We had we had a real. This is it. We always get on really well with the bands who people think we won't get on really well with. Like we we were fucking really good mates with Sabbath because Sabbath had could not have been more different to us. Mm. So there's no rivalry. There's no, there's not even a little hint of, yeah, your album's a bit fucking good. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, we're so far apart on the spectrum that there's just, there's, and, and at that age as well, you're still a bit competitive. And I, I say that age, I still am. But um, it's, um, 
Yeah, it, 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 we we had a blast with Candlemas. We used to have, and, and of course, not a band that you would think, you know, no. Acid Rain and Candlemas again, yeah. polar opposites. We used to have they they used to come side stage and the whole band and watch us every night and just crack up. Mm. And they don't and they'd only leave. I am so jealous of you right now, Joe. <laughs> um, they would um, they'd only they'd only leave when. Uh, uh, oh, actually, no, no, they watched whole set, yeah, because it was us. Um, oh, actually, no, they they fo- they were following us. It was us, then candle, then candlemas, then dark angel. No, but anyway, they used to watch our set from side stage and just like have an absolute blast and just and love it. And there was a couple, there was a couple of the band who were who were really, really like very into our band. And it was like you know they'd be in the dre- they'd be in the dressing room just going on about how jealous they were that we were able to just go out there and just have a blast and there was just nothing on you know no no do's no don'ts like you know you want to walk into the crowd whatever just whatever anything goes and and they'd sit in our dressing room like oh well we could never do this no yeah. well this is not allowed. <laughs> I better not speak too much, otherwise I'll end up getting us kicked off, <laughs> get get us kicked off Clang Festival, <laughs> having having not seen the guys in Candlemas for like thirty years. Have you listened to the album, the new album? It's brilliant. Love it. We love it. It was in my it was in my top five favorite yeah. albums. Absolutely brilliant and an amazing vocal performance. Oh well. yeah, and there you go. He's, not, a, he's not singing in the band anymore, though, is he? Or yes, Messiah Marco Rooney. No, oh no, Mar- Messiah isn't. Messiah oh. isn't. But the but the the new vocalist is the old vocalist. Yeah, the guy um, from the first record. He's, he's brilliant, man. He's brilliant. I had him on the podcast as well. Yeah, really nice guy. Um, and yeah, just fantastic album. The Door to Doom. That's it. Yeah, and who would have thought then Andy Sneap would have went on and played in Judas Priest? <laughs> well, now there is a now there's a tangent. I was WhatsApping with him when the news came out, and he was like. I, I, I sent him a message and just went, dude, very pleased for you. And he was like, straight away, he was like, I know, it's amazing, isn't it? I was like, yeah, but it's fucking awesome. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't have been more happy if it was fucking me. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I've known Andy so long that, and we were mates right from the day, right from back in the day. And Andy, you know, Andy ran Sabbath. I ran Acid Rain. We were always on the phone to each other. We've known, I, mean, I was at his fucking surprise 18th birthday party. So, fucking you know, up. yeah, exactly. Um, and, um, and I was just so, so pleased for him. And we were just messaging straight away. I was going, this is fucking amazing. And he was like, yeah, this is fucking amazing. And then he said something that I can't say on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> um, but I will, um, I'll, I'll definitely tell you to, uh, <laughs> once we're done here, um, yeah. exactly how that exchange went. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just top so man. pleased. He really him. is. And you know what? It's, it's such a testimony to, you know, ever since he was a, a kid before he was 18, he knew exactly how to get an awesome guitar sound and that led him to having a fantastic career in production, which yeah. led him to, you know, like his guitar chops were good enough to not only give him a career as a producer, but also to get him into Judas Priest. Like who the well, fuck the thing, that, the thing is as well, he's one of those people that look at it and they go, fuck me, Andy Sneap, what a life. Yeah. Sabbath, then producer, then Judas Priest. Oh, you know, that that's the life, isn't it? Mm. If anyone had the slightest inkling of how hard he has worked they would they that all of these people who's that's their dream life and their dream job 
would quit after twenty percent of what Andy has done to get where he is. Brilliant. I mean, yeah. sacrifice is made, hard work, all the rest of it. It's the same. It's the same old thing when you talk about football. You know, there's amazingly talented footballers who never even make it as a professional, and there's a lot, and there's people who are a lot less talented, but are a lot harder workers. Yep. that get to where they're yes. going. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You know, and, and, you know, you think it's bullshit when you're younger. You just think, no, 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 it's all about talent. It's all about, it fucking isn't, man. It's not about talent. It's about not taking no for an answer, and it's just the, the grind, you know? Mm. As the one and only Jamie Jaster says when he's not selling hard-on pills, <laughs> it's all about the grind. <laughs> but, you man, know, the thing about, sorry the, the thing about the grind, though, dude, is... Uh, sorry to break in there, but... You, oh, go on. But, I think that like for a lot of bands, especially bands around our kind of level hard, it's kind of like if you can do the grind to the point where your your name is known, then that's whenever you need to start making like the intelligent decisions about gigging. Like, you know, because yes. you, could, you could gig 200 days of the year and be thoroughly miserable, miserable doing it, you know? Yeah. And it's not going uh, like, yeah. to increase your crowd massively because say there's only so many people in the world who could possibly like either acid rain or gambom and it's like trying to reach those people you know yes yeah absolutely and uh, and we do we do need to do a we need to do a fucking trek through europe together yeah. um we need to do something um and uh, and thanks for putting that dude onto us but yeah it was uh, we t- uh, we're talking about um joe kindly put me in touch with a promoter who was looking at getting us to do a co-headline um oh wow tour yeah. throughout throughout europe um and and um, the co-headliner was, was was a cool band, and it, it fit. It was it fit, but then it was five bands all on one tour bus, and that's not really really happening. That means somebody's sleeping in the chemical toilet, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. You're on about seriously talented guys that had to work their arses off as well, and the, another one of your friends, Gene Hoglan. <laughs> yeah, man. Do you want to talk about Gene there as well, because I mean that man has put in some hours. Uh, I mean, Gene, Gene's amazing. Um, I mean, the funny thing is, the funny thing is that when we, when I, when I toured with them, um, Gene and I just, just seemed to gravitate to each other. Um, we spent hours debating stuff because it's like, I don't know, prime example. I went to see him when he was playing in Testament and they were supporting him on a mouth. And, um, and I'm on I'm I'm on the guest balcony, and uh, and Gene's like, okay, dude, I'm, I've got I have to do the voice when I do Gene. Okay, dude, um, I'm 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 showering now. I'll be up to see you in a minute. Okay, dude. He's like, okay, no worries. He's like, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. And I was like, fucking hell, you know, he's just just such a, he's such um a nice uh respectful. I mean, look, you know what I mean, Joe. People put you on the guest list, and it's like, yeah, you're on the guest list, and you might see them, and you might not, but yeah. you got in. But with Gene, it's like, you're on the guest list. You have a AAA pass. Here is a picture of your AAA pass. Here is a picture of your name on the guest list. Here is the name of somebody that you can ask for if anyone fucks with you whatsoever. Um, and, you know, and, and then, you know, turn up. So I go to Amar Math, he comes and gets me. We sit down in the Testament dressing room. No one's there. We sit down and I go, so, Trump. <laughs> And he got, and he looks at me and he goes, "Yeah, Brexit, man." I was like, "Yeah." And we spent we spent the next hour and a half talking about Donald Trump and Brexit and the differences between our two countries and all the rest of it. And that is the kind of shit that we did 
for five weeks through Europe. And that's pretty much why it was Jean and I downstairs and everybody else upstairs. Because <laughs> we just people used to come down and literally just sort of stick their heads there. And we'd be talking about the Second World War or we'd be talking about like, you know, politics or or, or whatever. And people would be like, You're right, guys. And we'd be like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd be like, Okay. And off they go. Mm. Um and um I, I mean before I when I when I saw him in January when we were doing the podcast, um we spent half an hour talking about stuff that is way more important than anything we talk about on the podcast, which is um, personal lives. And I'm certainly not going to delve into what it talks about with Gene, but he, he had some stuff going on that uh, clearly was quite major. And we, we, we spoke about that. Um, And um, he's just, do you know what? He's just, he's a friend. He's a friend of mine who lives in the States and has a job that takes him all around the world. It just so happens that he's also the atomic clock and an incredible thrash metal drummer. But, yes. you know, first Fantastic. and foremost, he's my mate for, that mm. I've known since I was 19, you know? So I've known him over half my life and we've always stayed in touch, even fucking MySpace, you know, he messaged me when he heard my father had died. And, you know, we, we you know, he's, he's a proper human being, Gene is. He's just a proper human being. It doesn't matter you know, w- w- what industry you meet people in. It's just one of those people where you go, yeah. And I knew when I was 19 that I, that, that I was pretty much, yeah, I'll, I'll be in touch with James the rest of my life, I would have thought, even at that age. Yeah. Um, uh, and I still am. And, you know, he's just, yeah, he's, um, he's probably my favourite person in metal apart from me. <laughs> <laughs> Early life for Howard, growing up and stuff. How did you get into music? Um, well... There was a cassette in the family car. Uh, I don't remember how it got there. I don't know if it was mine or whatever. But on one side was Queen's Greatest Hits, the proper one. Um, And on the other side was Day of the Races. And so there was that as a, as a, as a, I mean, I mean, you can't have a better sort of, sort of grounding in music. I remember my parents saying to me, what is, the, you know, we, they, they said to me and my sister, you can have one, we will buy you a record that's in the top 10 at the moment or the top 20. You can have any record you want. Just a little seven inch single. So my sister got what was a number one at the time. And I can't remember what it was. And I asked for Blondie, Heart of Glass. Um, so that was the very first record that I ever owned. The very first record I ever bought was Sabbath's Greatest Hits because my sister's friends who were a bit older than me were kind of into metal and I was getting into it. Mm. Um, and then funnily enough, one of my sister's boyfriends introduced me to Marillion and, uh, and then it was just like game over. Um, and then, um, and then it was show no mercy, kill them all. Uh, Melissa, Merciful Fate were a, were a big Merciful band Fate, amongst, yeah. you know, at those times, Merciful Fate fit in with everybody else because mm. they were just doing something that was so different that it just seemed to get attached to thrash. They clearly weren't thrash, yeah. but they were weird and people into metal didn't like them, which meant that people into thrash sort of kind of took to them as well. Um, and it was great because I, what I remember was, I'd been listening to like Sabbath and stuff and, and my, and my sister's mates all going like, Oh, listen to this and listen to that and more, you know, and all, you know, all live evil Dio. And Oh, is he, is, is, is it still black Sabbath? Yes. It's just a different singer. All right. You know. <laughs> and, um, and then, but I got to turn around to them 
and go, check this out. And like playing them stuff like Kill 'em All and stuff like that. And they all fucking hated it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, and all of a sudden it was like, well, I found my music Mm. because it's like, well, I've been like, I've been liking the music they they've introduced to me. Um, and it's great and it's wonderful. And it's led me to this point and I really like this stuff. So I want them to hear this stuff I really like because they played me stuff I really like. And I played it to them. They didn't like it. And it was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. This is really fucking heavy. This is my, this is my metal. This is my music. They've got the, you know, they've got all their Sabbaths, their rainbows, their DCs and all the rest of it. Fine. I've got this. I've got Kill 'em All. Oh, right. I've got Showing a Mercy. Oh, I've got Killing My Business. Shame it sounds shit. Um, oh, I've got, you know, Fistful of Metal, you know. And, and all of a sudden, what about it was um, like our music. I was going to say, what about uh, singing then, man? What, what was, apart from being into Freddie Mercury as a young man, and, which I think most singers... That's an interesting like turn. Who's, good, that's, who's a front man, there's usually some Freddie in there, but... That's an interesting was... turn of phrase there, Joe, uh, being, <laughs> being into, into Freddie. Um, ne- never got the chance, love. Never got the chance. Um... <laughs> but, um, so what, what, what about that then? How did, how did, you, did you start off playing the bass or something like everyone else, or did we always a singer or what? Um, I think I was always a singer. Um, yeah. And I say I think. I mean, I, you know, I'm a 50-year-old man trying to, to recall when I was like five, six years old. Um, so I, I probably asked my mum, to be honest, and I don't think she had a clue. I, I remember her saying, oh, you came home one day and said you, was, you were in a band. And I said, oh, really? What are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm the singer. And, the, and she said, can you sing? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, right, okay. And she knew not to bet. She knew better than to ask super cocky, confident Howard um, uh, to give her a fucking world right there. Um, but I had, I had sung um, in a school choir in primary school. Oh, and, I, okay. and, I, and, I, and I did a solo in one song as well. So I must have had a half-decent voice. Mm. And that just stuck with me. And, and I think music, um, discovering my own music, and of course, like the vocal influences in the early years, the 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 influences are are you know are Jello Biafra, Ronnie Dio, Fish, and obviously very early like every other person who was not singing in a trad band, you know. So. Sean um, right. Sean Killian from Violence is someone who comes up a lot whenever people talk about Acid Rain and your voice, particularly because it's quite it's quite off the wall compared to most other sort of like either James Hetfield type singing or, you know, more high pitch singing. It's kind of, as you say, a jello Biafra. It's that direction, isn't it? Well, a, thank you very much. That is a, that's, that's a load, that's a load of compliments all at once. Um, B try and get a, this is a great chance for a plug. Try everybody to listen to a very recent episode of Talking Bollocks, my podcast, where myself and Sean Killian get yeah. to have a chat about how shit our vocals are. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I even say to him, I said, "Look, I'm, I'm you know, I, I have been described as very much a um, an acquired taste." And he just he was just laughing, going, "Yeah, that's me, man." I was like, "Yeah, I know." When anybody when anybody gives quizzes me about my vocals, I, you're my excuse. I was going like, well, you know, violence, sure, yeah. Mm. And, it's um, so prevalent around, like a, a lot of your contemporaries who, apart from say Onslaught, who had a singer, a lot of the other bands who were, you know, a rhythm guitar player singer like yeah. Zetrix or Reanimator. There's there's a lot of bands out there who have that kind of sub Hetfield type singing, and it's a completely 
I find it very restrictive, you know. I, I much prefer it whenever a band has got like an individual singer instead yeah. of a guy yeah. who's just going to try and copy James Hetfield, you know. Well, uh, yeah, or, you know, get a guy who's going to try and copy James Hetfield and then get a guy to try and copy the guy to copy James Hetfield, yeah. Um, it's, um, it, it, I mean, I, you know, what can I say? Funnily enough, I asked, um, it, I asked Sean a few questions, which I already knew the answers to although I didn't know that at the time. I asked him a few questions and his answers were the exact same answers I would have given, which is because I said to him, like, you know, your voice, how, you know, how did it happen? How does it come like that? You know, or, you know, was it like me? You know, you just open your mouth and there it was. And he was like, yeah, totally. That's exactly it. And funnily enough, Sean is, um, is a huge Jello Biafra fan. Um, and that's something that, yeah, something that we really have in common. And I love, I love like machine gun delivery. I love to try and get as many words yeah. out as possible and make things as difficult for myself as possible. And, um, and Sean is exactly the same. He's like, yeah, man. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's, it's almost like we loved, we, we like thrash and we wanted to do vocally. We wanted to try and do what the rest of the band were doing and everyone else is playing a hundred miles an hour. So why can't we fucking sing at a hundred miles an hour as well? Mm. Um, and I kind of, that's where it sort of all came from. But it, yeah. it, it's very different. It's very weird for me to find out all these years later that there were people who gravitated to the band because of my voice and, and all the rest of it, because I got criticised in two Kerrang! reviews. Well, let's be honest, fucking hammered in, in two Kerrang! reviews, um, which was Moshkinstein and the Fear. Now, they are in the deep distant past, mm. but I was at 18 and 19 when those reviews came out and they absolutely ruined me. Yeah. Um, and um, I mean, I was just, I mean, I didn't know it now, but I mean, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was just wracked with, with anxiety. Um, I was absolutely falling apart, absolutely falling apart. Um, and, and unfortunately, there were a, there, there there was at least one member in the band who was quite pleased that I was getting these reviews, and that never helps. No. Um, and um, and so, all these years later, to kind of have these wonderful reviews for my performance on the Age of yeah. Entitlement, and 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 for people to be sort of you know saying over the years since we've been back, people have been saying, you know, nice things about my vocals and, and, and yeah, it's, um, it's kind of amazing to hear really all these years later. Um, I always knew I could sing. I always knew that, um, I always believed in what I was doing. Um, and, um, but funnily enough, I didn't know until I met fish, um, who I had a lovely conversation with for the podcast again. And, um, and he said to me, we said, well, the thing with the thing about me, Howard, is I'm a writer who can sing. I'm not a singer who can write. And I, and I just said, yeah, I know I'm exactly the same. Mm. And as those words came out my mouth, I thought, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, no, that's true. Oh, right. Shit. I've just figured that out. <laughs> and it was only through, it was only through him saying it and me just going, yeah, exactly. And then literally like, oh my God. Right. Yeah. So I've always thought of myself as, as a writer who can sing. I mean, I write comedy and then I perform it. So, I, you know, so I write lyrics and then perform them. Um, but I would definitely say that I'm, I'm, I'm just a much better singer now than, than, than I ever have been. And I mean, it was a pleasure, a, an actual pleasure working on the vocals for this album, just, just well, look, demoing them. You know, the, but then recording the them. Is, like, I guess, brilliant. um, one of the big things about the record is 
there's loads of that kind of Axl Rose use your illusion double tracked vocals you know so there's like low low H and high H you know and it's got a really cool you know it's the same effect that you hear on you know Killing Is My Business the song where there's a high and a low Dave I thought it was really cool right uh, do you mean do you mean like by that do you mean like there's an octave yeah so there's a double track on yeah, the vocals yeah. like oh well there's uh, yeah I mean there's loads there's loads of doubling there's loads of doubling but um, there is actual octave tracks as well, um, which which is the the Necronomicon part of, of Within the Woods. There's there's I mean there's about five or six yeah. different voices going on there, which again is like during the recording process. I we I was working with Jason. We were doing bits and pieces, and I can't. We were working, this happened a few times, and we were working on stuff, and yeah, and Jason would say, uh. Oh right, okay, yeah. There's 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 a really nice and, and I, I, he said there's really nice room for harmony in there, and I was like, yeah, there is, isn't there? Where is it? Where is it? And we'd both sit there going, eh, eh, and and every time he'd get it, not me, and he'd be like, ah. and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's going to sound lovely. And he said, right, okay, go in the booth and do that. So I go in the booth and I go, what is it again? He go, I go, okay. So he put it on and I go, and he go, yep, spot on, come back in. And it was literally like about the end of the week. And um, Jace said, um, like, you're, you're really natural at, at like doing harmonies and stuff. He's like, I, I could, I've only ever had to give it to you once and you just do it. Have you always been like that? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, not a fucking clue, mate. Um, I said, I didn't know. I didn't. When I became the singer who can just hear a harmony once and then go and record it in one take. I don't know when I became that guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's not like I've been doing a shitload of singing. Yeah. Um, but it, it just, it was just working with him um, was, was, was awesome and had been on The Man Who Became Himself. And I, my head was so full of ideas for this album because we'd worked on it for so long and I'd got to demo the vocals. So I was just, I was, the ideas were always coming, were always coming. So all of the stuff that you hear on the album, like where there's like multiple little voices and all sorts of bits and pieces. um, I'd say probably 90% of that was, um, was me and my ideas and what I brought to the table and about 10% of it was probably Jace as well, because Jace, uh, amended some melody lines and just like you literally like I was doing a melody line where I was going up and he would go actually no don't take it up just hold it and I'd be like right okay I'll and then we go oh right well if you're going to do that what about doing this and yeah we just literally just had fun and um it, might, it was awesome it might stand to actually know if there ever will be another acid rain album you can certainly add that to your uh what would you say Box of tricks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm really, really hoping there will be another Acid Rain album. We all are, yeah. Um, uh, but, you yeah. know, as I've said to everybody, the way things are at the moment, I mean, a lot of people have been like, oh, are you writing a new album? No, no, we're not. Because, as you know, as, the, as an album cycle, we're supposed to be on tour. Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be on tour. On tour. It's like you're, you're, you're just in that, that cycle. Um, and just because we've suddenly got some spare time doesn't mean that we all really want to write a new album. What do you want we to do? What we want to be doing is being out there playing the new material. Yeah. You know, know, the whole Joe... point of writing a new album is that you get, is you're bored of the one that you've been playing. Yeah. So you want some, you know. Do you think, Joe, because Philly is similar enough in vocal style as well, but he's verbal assault and he certainly can harmonize as well. Do you think Philly 
went through that period when his voice was shot and then came back a stronger singer because of it? Yeah, like that, and that was a that was a huge thing for him. Basically, just from like absolutely not knowing how to sing, and like at the start, our singing was a lot more kind of Motorhead, Jello Biafra kind of style, right? And then as we got more into kind of Flotsam and Jetsam and Age and Steel and stuff, we really kind of wanted to incorporate that. But Philly was like, I remember when we he was a kid, him doing Child in Time, Deep Purple and stuff, and you could do that kind of stuff, but he didn't have any sort of control over it, so. Also, the whole reason he heard his voice wasn't necessarily too much to do with his singing. It was um, just partying, like drinking all the time and smoking and shouting. Like, especially whenever you get a load of Irish people together in a room at 3am, there's a lot of shouting. So that was that's what it was. And like there were about three or four gigs where over the course of a year or two where I had to sing him and stuff like that while he was either getting the surgery done or recovering and stuff. And like you would be the worst person ever for it hard because like after he had the vocal nodules taken out, um, he wasn't allowed to make any sound whatsoever for like two weeks. And so he said the worst thing about it was trying not to laugh. Like, and he was just sitting <laughs> slapping his knee because laughing was the worst thing he could possibly do for it. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think that um, he's definitely a better singer now than he was. But I think a lot of that as well is just experience same as hired like you know whenever you whenever you're older you have a way better idea of what you should be doing whereas whenever you're 21 like you don't know what you're doing like you know at all yeah yeah absolutely and and i I think philly does an awesome job as well i really do um uh and he sounds great and to go through what he's gone through i mean i can't i can't even begin to fathom what that must have been like and the mental side of it is just yeah. like you've got the you've got the physical side of it that's bad enough then you've got the mental side of it as well which is just torture so yeah it happens so like um alan from primordial like this has happened to me once before as well where you just your voice just disappears from underneath you and they were playing the bloodstock and come out and just after the first song his voice just disappeared and he couldn't even he couldn't speak at a third of this volume you know never mind sing I, when I when I um, when I interviewed Fish, um, he said one thing that he wouldn't miss was the the pressure of um, and he said he said when he was in Marillion, he said I, I, we 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 were we were supposed to be doing a gig and he said it was a big gig you know it was a city hall gig something like that and um, between sound check and the doors opening, his voice went. Yeah. He was fine in sound check, and just as they were going to go to open the doors, he was like he just he, he couldn't he had nothing, gone. Jesus. Um, and, um, and he said he'd actually, he'd actually seen the support band the previous day. They were having to pull out because the singer's voice gone and he, and he, so he could see them out front, out front of the venue and all having a chat. And he was just like, God, I just know what conversations being had and how bad, you know, he said, it, 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 you have no control over it. But when one of you, when it's your fault that no one is having fun tonight and no one is getting any work done tonight and it's it, it, it it's your fault you know yes your your voice is gone there's nothing you can do about it but it's still your fault yeah that's how you feel you know um so yeah you i mean a lot I, more sympathy see if you see a guitar player like in back to the future where he's got a busted hand can't play a johnny be good people are like oh shit you've busted your hand you poor person Whenever people see a singer who's lost his voice or has got a cold and can't sing, like yeah. the reacher was supposed to play in Dublin and they cancelled because he, he had the cold. 
but people are just generally very upset about it. You know, they're just like, he is yeah. a skiver. That man would not work on batteries, you know? <laughs> yeah, but this is exactly the same as well. And the, the other thing as well that that is the... Uh, the other thing that works against singers is often people will have had this experience where it's like, oh, where's the singer? Oh, he's like, he's in a room on his own or he's on the bus on his own or he's doing this. And people and people are like, typical singer, shut themselves off from everybody. Yes. So they don't fucking speak because the only way to not speak is not be around people. It is a lot easier. And not speaking is called resting your voice. And um, and to that extent, and talking about partying and stuff like that, on our last on the last tour we did, that we came over to Ireland, um, uh, I wasn't I, I I hadn't drunk alcohol, smoked a cigarette or anything like that for about two weeks before we went away, and for the whole time we were on the road as well, I wasn't I wasn't drinking and I wasn't smoking, um, because can't do that really anymore i also went and had a, a shed load of singing lessons with a brilliant teacher um uh who's on um who's on youtube on youtube she's called beth Rawls, and um uh she's just absolutely awesome showed me loads of little tricks and picked out some bad habits that i got into which were really bad <laughs> so um yeah. So I'm, I, yeah, I mean, you know, totally buzzed and jazzed. You never really, like, you never sound as if you've um, struggled. You know, the way, like, there's some people that, you know, even very gifted people like Don Dawkins, where it's incredibly delicate, you know, and like he can end up sounding like crap overnight. Or other people like, say, Dave Mustaine or even like Matt from Evil, where like to get to have a serviceable voice is incredibly difficult work for them, you know, and it's a very temperamental voice, you know. Mm. Well, it's funny you should say that because um, uh, I always consider myself to be have a very temperamental voice. <laughs> um, it's it, it it might seem like that from the outside, but I have all the same I have all the same sort of stresses and anxieties that everybody else does. Um, um, I'm just, but I'm really, really looking after things a lot better than I used to. So it's it's all about you know wearing a scarf, making sure I've got a snood for the tour, yeah. um, you know, keeping your throat warm, um, not, not breathing cold air, uh, and just try and try not to talk as much as well. Yeah. And, and not, and, you know, not do interviews. Um, and, um, and it, it made a big difference. I mean, my voice I felt was slightly ropey by the time we got to Belfast, but to be honest, um, it, it like there wasn't any times where I've gone to hit a note and it's gone like Ehh! you know it didn't there was no none of those horrible cracks because that is the that's the worst thing to experience as a vocalist is when, is yeah. when you know who's going to get loads, you know who's going to get loads of coronavirus whenever the festival start again back in vocalists because singers are always bringing their own microphone and mic <laughs> you know thing and anytime you ever see bass players singing or whatever they're always just singing into the same feckin' mic all day you know <laughs> well there's, there's there's going to be a lot of disinfecting of mics going on I'll tell you that mate do you know what you were saying there about anxieties as well mm. did you feel much in relation to going from being the singer of Acid Rain to doing stand-up comedy um to be honest it was just uh, uh, just night and day the, mm. the only the only um the only advantage I had over, over other people going to stand up for the first time was that I felt comfortable on stage. Right. Um, other than that, it was just completely starting all over again. Mm. But it's something that I'd, it's something that I'd, I'd, I'd wanted to do 
Um, I mean, I was class clown. I was I was kind of doing a version of stand up between songs and acid rain. Uh, I'd always been funny. I knew I'd, I knew I could make people laugh, but there's knowing you can make people laugh and being a bit of a class clown and learning how to function as a stand up comedian and and it's yeah it's it's um it's a complex it's a complex old world the world of stand up um but uh, uh you know I'm, I'm, i love it i mean i do more i do more stand up shows than um than i do comedy shows easy every year or rather i don't do more stand up shows as uh, because i don't do any comedy shows i don't do any shows at the moment um but um but yeah i mean stand up is um uh, stand up has always been there for 25 years, you know, my life. So it's, it's almost kind of like basically stand up is the wife and, um, uh, and, and acid rain is the mistress. Yeah. So did, that, um, that, did that start up then after, um, what was the name of your post acid rain band that you had for a uh, year? Strange thing. Yeah. So what, what was thing. the transition then from, was that like, was that something that you did just directly after acid rain before starting into comedy or what? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I had a load of lyrics and um and i had no songs and i went to a and, and i went to a party at that name again al barnes house up in newcastle and some, and some mates of his turned up and i was wearing a fishbone t-shirt and uh and i had um and i had um loads of songs in my head you know lyrics written. so anyway i turned up these guys turned up and apparently they were in a band that was really good and um they didn't have a singer and they didn't have any lyrics but they had music and obviously i had what they wanted and they had what i wanted and we had a bit of a chat and i said well look send me a tape and let me see if i can figure out some stuff so i figured out some stuff went up there um and we rehearsed and it was just like yeah this is awesome so um so i did that for a couple of years we did a couple of demos didn't work out um and literally we had a band meeting that's the end of the band. Following morning, I got a letter that had arrived on my doorstep from a uh, performing arts school in London saying, um, you've been ex- you've been accepted onto our um, stand-up comedy foundation course. Ooh. Our first ever. And I was like, cool. So literally, music business that day, comedy that day, and that was it. Oh. But what, what was the... Um... What, what was the circumstances around the end of Acid Rain? Because obviously the the two songs that end up were supposed to be the jokes on UEP, which end up not happening. Yeah. Was the idea to do an EP to test the water before doing a full record, or how, how did it end up? Because I know the guys were pretty much leaving to join Cathedral, and this was like sort of mid ninety ninety one, sort of start of ninety one, wasn't it? Well, all I can say is that um, that's news to me. Because um, as as far as I was concerned, as far as I was concerned, as far as Ramsey was concerned, as Kev and Mac were concerned, um, you know, Acid Rain was our thing and what we were going to go on to be. Nobody went on into Cathedral or even thought about Cathedral until Acid Rain was done. Right. Okay. Um, and... Um, and there was there was some interesting bits and pieces again, which I can't say, but I will offer. Um, but um, no, I mean, we, we we wrote we wrote those two songs. We wrote those two songs, and we got and we had and um, you know, Music for Nations financed the recording of them to see where we were going and what our direction was. But our, our deal had finished with them, 
and um, they're just they're, they're two kind of pissed off, angry songs. Yeah, they're very, like they're very they're very like kind of addressing the the situation that the band yeah. are in. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, and not subtle at all, as usual. No. Um, yeah, and those two songs are aimed squarely between the eyes of Music for Nations and our management. Probably, to be honest, more our management than the label. Um, and that's, you know, proof of that is the fact that the label ended up releasing those songs anyway. Um, uh, and, yeah, it was just it was just a kind of like, well, you know, fuck you, this is what we're doing. We know you won't like it. And it was it was it was it was almost like sort of committing suicide. Really, it was almost did, like. Did you guys try and then hook up with like heavy metal records or someone after that, or was uh, there just once the deal was in that was there, it? There were there, there were deals on the table from I believe heavy metal and FM, and there might have been somebody. And we were like, do we want to go to as far as we were concerned? Um, do we want to take a step down and go and put an album out on some tin pot label? Um. Or do we just want to knock it on the head? How old um, were you at that stage, Howard? Sorry? How old were you at that stage? Um, 20. Fuck me. And, so um, young, man. Yeah, yeah. No. So, so, so we just went, now, like, now this is done. And, and again, I'm so glad we did. Because um, the bizarre thing is, if you, if you go back and history will prove this is uh, exactly as I say it, we announced that we were splitting up and Acid Rain was no more. Uh, and that was in Kerrang. The following week, the next edition of Kerrang, uh, S- uh, Sabbath announced that they were calling it a day. And then there was another, and then there was a two week gap and then Onslaught announced that they were calling it a day. Mm-hmm. So that also gives you, a, is a window into the world of why we split up. It wasn't just us, you know. Yeah. It was, but it, it, was it is. It's, it's it's to do also a lot, I think, man, to do with the sort of support that you're getting because I think that the fact that bands like Reanimator were in Europe supporting Dark Angel and brought out another album, it didn't do very well. Centrix were in Europe supporting Tankert in '92. It's kind of like I think that there could have been a future for Acid Rain if if your management had been or if you had had some support. And like every band knows what it's like when they're like. We're, this is extremely hard work and no one cares, so we're just going to stop, you know? Fair point, fair point. But you've just mentioned two bands who audibly changed their their sound and their style. And it didn't do them any good, did it? Like, they're, all, they're all broken up after making an awful album. But, the year but what, exactly what they did was they, they, they basically wrung the final drops out of their career. Um, and that's not what we wanted to do. Um, and that's why you know we, we we did the opposite. So basically, what what they did was they 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 started doing some some new cool stuff. And hey, give this to the label. What do you think, guys? What do you think? Yeah, there's a future in it. Whereas we were like, hey, here's two songs about how you're all cunts. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, we didn't. Uh, to, you know, I I, I I see where you're coming from, Joe. But we hadn't exactly we hadn't exactly. Um, uh, you know, done a great job of smoothing the path to being able to put another album out yep. by releasing those two songs. Well, not releasing them, but by, you know, recording them and, and, and sending them and saying, hey, what do you think to these? Um, do you know when you were doing the stand-up, Hitch, did you 
come across many metal fans in the crowd? Well, I, I obviously I still do. Um, yeah. I still do stand up, and and occasionally somebody will come up. Um, and uh, funnily enough, I did a show um, about eighteen months ago, and um, and it was a, it was it was a, a big. Um, a big um, sports hall. There's 250 tables, so you know, Fuck. a lot yeah. of people. Yeah. And um, absolutely fucking smashed it. I mean, absolutely properly brought the house down to the extent, and this doesn't happen very often, to the extent that um, uh, they have got dragged back on stage to an encore, um, which is just nuts so i came off stage and all the comedians are going like oh that was really cool and all the rest and it's like this is the thing about a comedy dressing room is is just like it's full of individuals who are either have already been on um and gone or the only reason they're in the dressing room is because they're on after you so they've got no interest in talking to you about how your set went what it was like or anything like that and so it it, it, it like this is what i miss about being in a band, you know, you come off stage and it's just like, oh, what about this? And what about that? And yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, there you are, people in the dressing room come in, yeah, oh, great, great. And comedy is just not that. Comedy is yeah. just not that. So you have the whole experience is in here. So you come off stage having absolutely smashed it. And you come off and you're smiling and everyone goes, oh, that was really good. Oh, well done. You know, oh, that's great. And that's it. That's all they want to say, yeah. right? We're done now. Shut up. But inside, I'm like, this was fucking awesome. <laughs> this was brilliant. And I was just, I was like buzzing, 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 right? And um, and the other, uh, and the other comedians are going, you know, like, literally, like that, starting a conversation about the price of carrots or something. You know, anything is better than allowing me to mention my set again or anything like that. There's a huge knock on the dressing room door, and um. Uh, and the, the venue manager goes to the dressing room door and I just hear this voice going, I want to see Howard! I want to see Howard! And this bloke's going, uh, 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 and he's going, there he is, there he is! I go, let him in, let him in. And it's, I, I don't know who it is. I don't know who it is, but obviously this guy knows who I am. Yeah. So he comes in, he, he comes into the dressing room, he gives me a massive hug, right? And he gives me this massive hug and just stands there going, Close your mind to control the scene. And it's like, and, and the, the comedians are just sat there going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so, so I have to turn round. I have to turn round and say, and this, and this, you know, I have to turn around and say, right. Okay. So, you know, make, making no reference to the fact that I've just absolutely smashed the arse out of the gig and basically ruined it. Cause no one's going to do that well now. Because that's how it works. When someone has a show like that, no one else is going to get to that level. So, um, and this guy comes in and starts shouting gibberish. And everyone's looking at me like, what? And I'm going, and I, so I just try and shut him up. So I just give him a big hug and go, all right, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. He puts his arm around me, puts his arm around me and points me towards the other comedians. And they're going, do you know who this fucking guy is? I'm like, mate, yeah, they've oh. known me for years. They know who I am. And they're like, no, but do they really know? Do they really know? Who? This man is a fucking thrash metal legend. And, 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 and they're all sat there going, what? <laughs> and, and, and one of one of them is in, one of them is really into music. She's into her music and she's, and she's like, really? And, and so the guy focuses on her and he's going, yeah, he used to be in fucking Acid Rain, UK legends. 
And she was like, I think I've heard of you. I think I've heard of you a lot as well. And I was like, all right. Fuck. And so now it's like they, this, 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 you know, this comedy dressing room has just become Howard Central. Hello, welcome. <laughs> Are you a fan of me? I know I am. Um, so, um, brilliant, brilliant yeah, story. Yeah. yeah, so occasionally, occasionally people will turn up and sometimes it's just like they rock up and they go, all right, um, Howard, yeah, yeah, um, I brought a CD. Would you mind? Give it the you mind? Yeah, yeah, no worries, mate. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. But this guy, this guy just like oh, on the, the worst possible night for every other comedian in the room, <laughs> apart from me, just, just bursts in. And not only have I absolutely smashed the comedy night, now this guy's in here shouting at them, telling them all that I'm a heavy metal legend. <laughs> we were on a boat, Steve Hughes, Joe, weren't we a few weeks ago? Yes. Of Mortal Sin fame. Yeah. Did you cross, cross paths? No, no, we've, I've, I've never done, never done a show with him, which is, uh, which is bizarre because I've done shows with just about everybody. I mean, Catherine Tate started out in stand up. Yep, did shows with her. Yeah. You know, Harry Hill, Al Murray, you name it. Um, I've, I've, I've gigged with them all. And um, but bizarrely, you know, it's a massive circuit, and you know, some people you meet and some people you don't. I, unfortunately, I never met Ian Cognito as well before he died, and I'm okay. I'm gutted about that because he was a he was an awesome comic, and I mean, equally insane off stage as he was on stage. But I'd love to have um, I'd love to work, work, work with him. But such a shame. And about as well, people dying, man. Riley Gale as well. I want to give a shout out on the yes, show. Yes, well, speaking of dying, um, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, wow, that was just that was just insane um, I, yeah i mean it's 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 kind of um it's kind of weird as well i guess we've got to wait to find out what happened um do you think that he realized how much of an icon he he was slowly turning into um i think this man will you'll see him on t-shirts for for years to come but did he know the, all the hurricane that was following the band there was a lot of expectation on their new album you the sun the daily mirror rte over here it was everywhere he's dead yeah it, just goes, I, to, it goes to show how how big like power trip how big an impact they, they've made like you know i think like probably easily the most popular thrash bands and like municipal waste you know in terms of new bands and stuff and you know un an unbelievably cool singer and they're they're like a kind of classic example of a band who you know they're like a, a like a mix of like doom like the band doom and like hardcore and thrash mm. but like it it's they're just a band who has an, an amazing amazing sound and you know it's just the worst thing that can possible possibly happen uh, the poor poor fella you know yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it'll all come out. Um, I mean, I wouldn't like to speculate without, no, no, no. you know, no, it's just without knowing, without knowing actually how he died either. I mean, you know, mm. it, it could have been coronavirus. Yeah, you know, it could have been. I mean, the fact that everything is so quiet, unfortunately, I think we all are really dreading hearing the news that we think we already know, mm. um, and that it's be another singer who's taken his own life. Yeah. I hope not. I really yeah. hope not. Um, but I'm 50. Clean, uh, Keith Flint was 50. So cross your fingers, everyone. Hopefully this time <laughs> next year, no more me. Um, <laughs> Who would you get to replace Howard? But um, yeah, no, it is. It's totally awful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it's um, it's it's mad when you see things like that happening to people who like they're not really our contemporaries or Acid Rain's contemporaries, you know. But like people who are in the same like kind of pond, you know. Yeah. 
it's like Mike from Evil. It's just these things happen, and you know, you just it, it's just so out of the blue. You know, it's very sad. Well, the thing the thing is, um, I'll tell a little bit story. About, I'll tell a story about my um, my good friends um, in Billy Talent. Um, uh, a friend, I had a friend of mine on the. I put her, I put her on the guest list to a show in, uh, in Belgium, and uh, and the tour cancelled. And she sent me a message, and she was like, "Oh man, you know, I'm having a really bad time at the moment, and you know, th- this is terrible news. Oh, I'm really gutted. Oh, you know, and it's like mo mo mo." And I resisted telling her why the tour was cancelled, and um, the tour was cancelled because. Um, uh, Aaron, who is Billy Talent's drummer, who has MS, um, went to his brother's um, birthday party, and it was his brother's 40th, and his brother had a heart attack and died in front of his family at his 40th birthday party. Mm. And that was two weeks before they were due to go away on tour. Yeah. And I think sometimes people in, in, in you know, the public look at people doing that job and think fucking hell that's amazing and it's like yeah and neil pert in rush who's also died of cancer lost his wife and his daughter to cancer just you know it's like we're we're all just people just doing a job it doesn't get you know you're not granted immunity from the shit that everybody has in their life just because you're in a band or anything like that Mm. and um and that that billy talent thing was like and to have somebody who was moaning you know and feeling a bit down and i was like you've got no idea um why this has been pulled and it you know it made your troubles look like fucking nothing um and yeah it's 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 horrible when these things happen but mm. you know bands are made up of people and bad shit happens to people unfortunately yeah. but usually like- the good people so yeah. if shit is if shit is happening to you, the good thing is it's probably because you're a good person. Yeah. If if everything's going really well, you're a cunt. Mm. But it's the power of social media as well. People think they actually know you through social media. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. True. And they expect certain things. You know, expect expect yeah. your time. Expect you to reply to every fucking comment. And oh, know. I, I absolutely. But to be fair, mate. To be fair. I usually do. So well, I've created, you're, you're I've, but that I've created yeah. that expectation. I've created that expectation. Mm. I've created that monster, which I wish I hadn't, to be honest, but yeah. that's the way it is. But the best one, the best one was two nights ago. I got a message to the Acid Rain Facebook page, right? <laughs> uh, which I'm going to read verbatim, right? <laughs> so this is, this is the usual classic. Now I have had people from, companies i've had somebody who managed band social media and i i gave him the login and said oh go and have a look go and have a look through our social media and all the rest of it and, and have a look at the messaging and all the rest of it and he, and he said i have never ever ever seen anything like this Jesus. and it's basically because we're the kind of band we are we've been around as long as we are mm-hmm. people just basically see us as their mates so they'll just yeah. so they'll message whatever's in their head at whatever time of day now, this is my favourite that I've had recently. I hope the fuck we don't know this person, Joe. <laughs> well, uh, well, to be fair, I'm not going to name him. Okay, um, Let's just call him Nick. <laughs> right? So, Nick Gresty sent me this message, right? It says, out of the blue, he's never messaged a band before. Hola, can I just confirm that the Manchester show on the 19th of September is still going ahead? Cheers. 
Uh, right. Okay. Oh my God. Please look at the event listed on the Facebook page, which has in caps postponed. Right. Also on the Manchester Rebellion page, it has the uh, Acid Rain show showing as postponed. Also, um, uh, Manchester Rebellion have taken their website down as well at the moment. Your event says postponed, but the venue say it's happening. So which is it, yes or no? <laughs> so uh, I just responded and said, who have you contacted at the venue? Because the best way to deal with people yes, yes, is, yes. is basically catch them up in their own, in what they've said. So really, you, the venue says, who said that then? No reply. <laughs> but it is, it's like the temptation Funnily enough, I was out with mates at the time and I was telling them about this. And the temptation, yeah. my mates were like, how do you not take, just message back? Have you heard there's a pandemic, you thick cunt? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, but it clearly, clearly, just from the way the whole message is constructed, for some reason, he's either got the arse with us or he's got the arse with the venue or he's got the arse with life in general or he's pissed or whatever it is. But I don't see the point in kind of adding to the shitness of his day by one of his favorite bands, giving him grief and pointing out that he's a knob. I just thought it'd be more fun to ask him questions until he stops sending <laughs> messages. Come here, but, I'm going to leave you go. If you were to curate your own yes. festival, give me six bands that um, you'd love to have on it. Okay. Acid Rain Gamma Bomb, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, right there, yeah. and uh, and and doesn't matter. In fact, just those two. Any other four bands, just those are the only two that matter. Um, it's very. Uh, I would say um, you'd have to get Gene over, surely. Uh, well, I'd say Metallica with because you see you haven't got a time frame on it. Metallica with Mustaine, um, nice. uh, Milo goes to college era Descendants, um, Descendants. Uh, sorry, Dead Kennedys with Jello. Yeah. Um, uh, farewell to King's era Rush and uh, Acid Rain and Gamma Bomb. There you go. Cool. You know what, though, man? If we were playing like that, we'd be on the same time as Rush. And <laughs> I'd, I'd, just, I'd be punching you in the head, being like, why did you do this to us? Mate, 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 I'll tell you what would be happening if that was the festival, yeah? You're first on, we're second on, yeah, and, then it's, yes. and, and, and then it's a couple of deck chairs side stage for the rest of the day. Yeah. Be lovely. Uh, sorry, sorry, I've had an idea. Sorry, I've had an idea. I've had an idea. Mm -hmm. We could actually get five bands on and we'll just have one band opening called Acid Bomb that that that, that has like that has ten nice. musicians. Yeah? That's nice. ten and we just go Gamma Bomb song, Acid Rain song, Gamma Bomb song, Acid Rain song. We yep. only play six songs, three acid rain songs, three gamma bomb songs. We're all done within half an hour, deck chairs, other bands. Yeah. <laughs> it will become virtual reality soon and we'll be able to experience all that <laughs> yeah absolutely i'm gonna leave you go howard thank you so much for coming on the show much appreciated oh, pleasure, mate. anytime anytime yeah, it's great man and joe cool. as always thank you cheers bud he's a great cheers, co host dude. <laughs> cheers dude is there any other news people should know about acid rain um there is the clang festival and yeah. oh yeah well yes we're playing um we're playing clang on um on the date in february yeah um with uh candlemas and Cur i nearly said it's corona 27th of february <laughs> yeah 27th of february candlemas corona and acid rain are um are playing um <laughs> the national stadium in yeah. uh in in dublin so come along 
excellent stuff again cool, man. that's it lads thanks a million for everybody listening and listen to richie in the metal cell cheers <laughs>